I invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, which is where we're going to be today. Uh, John chapter 12. And if you happen to be reaching for one of those blue Bibles in front of you, um, it'll be um, on page 762 is where you'll find that uh, this morning. Uh, we are studying uh, in this uh, series that we're calling the life or the sound of Easter. We're looking at the life and the death and the life again of Jesus. And we're, we're looking at, at that week, that week that's called Holy Week, and we're trying to slow the week way down, trying to take it one day at a time. And uh, having said that, you're going to get a little frustrated with me today, okay? Because we're going to have to jump a few days just to make today make sense. And so as we go through this, we're going to jump forward and back and, and look at things and see how they relate to one another. And it's going to be important as, as we study this. Uh, week one, two weeks ago, day one that we were looking at, we saw... Mary washed Jesus' feet. Remember that? She took the very expensive jar of perfume and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped it off with her hair. And we compared that to maybe what would be considered the cheap participation of the crowd uh, whenever Jesus was riding into Jerusalem and they were waving their palm branches and, and how they were just looking for maybe a show or something. And we kind of compared those two. Last week we read about how Jesus was hungry. And so what did he do? He cursed a fig tree for not bearing figs in a season when it wasn't supposed to bear figs. We kind of tried to explain that and see the symbolism there and what that was all about and, and what that meant. Then Jesus goes into the temple, and what does he do? He drives out the money changers. He flips over the tables. It's like he's really, really angry at that point. And, and what we saw was that it was all in this context of Jesus looking down upon a city who claimed to love God, who, who was the city of God, and... It was filled with people who were not loving the people that God had put in their path to love. And they were ignoring them, and they were, they were trying to do their own thing and not doing what God would have them to do. And so that's kind of where we've been, and today we're at day three. And what happens today is, is pretty interesting, I think. Uh, look at John chapter 12, beginning in verse 23. Jesus says these words. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. All right, so... I want to start this morning in this way by asking each of you a question. I'm going to ask you to respond by raising your hand. How many of you, at one point or another in your life, you stopped going to church? Okay? Just hold them up there for just a second. All right? Very good. Okay, you put your hands down. Now, I don't know why each of you quit going to church at one point or another, but how many of you who... Were, how many of you were raised in the church? Like, you know, you went like every week and it was part of what you, Okay, same people? Right? Normally that's the case. Not always, okay? But, but normally that's the case. A lot of times when you're, you're brought up in the church and you go for a while and then at some point you just kind of stop going to church. And, and I wonder, whenever you stop going to church, this is not an indictment, this is just a, a question. Did you also stop believing? Did you just kind of stop having faith? Did you just kind of say, okay, I'm going to put God up on the shelf and, and maybe someday I'll pick him back up. But for right now, I, I'm, I'm good. And you kind of grew out of church. Maybe for, for some of you that uh, raised your hand, maybe it was because you, uh, you walked away from just the structure. Maybe you walked away from people. Uh, some people, though, walk away from God. One of the joys that I have as a pastor is, is having the opportunity to talk to people who we're in maybe your shoes, and they have walked away at one point in their life, and now they're coming back to the Lord, and they share amazing stories 
of God's grace and his mercy and what God has done and what God continues to do in their life to restore them and to bring them to where God wants them to be. And they're just amazing stories. And what seems to be a common thread in all of their stories is that at one point they walked away from God. And the primary reason that they walked away from God had something to do with the fact that the church that they went to growing up was a church that was less than desirable for one reason or another. I, I have heard things, and I hear often, uh, the church I went to, it was the same every week. It wasn't really relevant to my life. Or I hear things like, when I went to church, the message was hellfire and brimstone, you know. Turn or burn. You have angered God. Because of what you've done, your sin has separated you from God, and he's angry with you. And you better feel guilty, and you better get it right, because God is coming after you. And you don't want to be left behind with Kirk Cameron and the rest of the group, right? You want to go with him, so you better get it right. Those are kind of the messages that, that we have heard. And so people just kind of go, you know what? I, I don't want to hear that. It's not really relevant to me. And, and even though the primary message was, yes, God loves you, it was, you better turn because God's looking to annihilate you. The first chance he gets. And you don't want to be on his bad side. Those messages that we've heard, probably all of us have heard those at one point or another, may have contributed to you walking away from church. It may have caused you to maybe go to another church, or maybe not to go to any church at all. Some concluded that after hearing those messages that, you know what, that faith, that church is just for other people. It's for people of other walks of life. It's for people that, that have uh, other goals in mind. And, and I want to do what I want to do, and I don't want to do what I don't want to do, and and I want to go and, and be in a life where, regardless of what I do, it's just not going to be judged. It's not going to be looked at that way. And for those of you who raised your hands, that, that maybe you heard the, the hellfire and brimstone, turn and burn, uh, banging of the pulpit, those types of things, here's what I want to say to you. That message, those preachers, they were right. They are right. But also hear this. Their presentation may have been way off, okay? The heart in which it came from may have been far from the heart of God. The venom that sprang from their lips as they presented God's truth may have done disastrously bad things to you in your life, and it may have, have pushed you farther away. But within what they were saying in those things that you heard, and maybe, you know, I know I heard growing up, there's a kernel of truth. And the truth is that that there are consequences for every single decision that we make. It's something we try to teach our kids, that good decisions result good consequences. Bad decisions result bad consequences. Everything we do has a consequence. And every decision we make has a consequence. And, and it has an outcome and a result. And whenever we trust God with our life and we live our life a certain way toward Him, it has a consequence. And whenever we turn our back on Him and we live life a different way, it has a consequence. It has a destination. Every decision we make will determine our direction, and the direction we go will ultimately determine our destination. And so every decision matters. And so for us to get kind of headed in the right direction, we're trying to use all of that as kind of a stepping stone. Uh, let's look again at John chapter 12 and verse 24. And Jesus states something that's relatively obvious, I think. In verse 24, he says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. 
Now, I don't think any of the disciples at this point are going, wow, where's my tablet? I've got to get that written down, right? Because, you know, any farm boy knows that to be true, right? It's just a natural way that things happen. And and so Jesus here is saying something that's relatively obvious, but we need to think about it for a second. If you think about the fact that, that almost everything we eat, and we need to eat food to live, things like an apple. Who needs an apple this morning? Anyone? Okay. Orange? Ready? Barry, lean that way. Ready? Oh, hit her in the hands. How about grapes? Grapes, they're good. All right, try again. Hold on, Matt. Okay, Matt. Okay, and bananas, right? Duck, honey. Oh, it was right to you. All right, sorry. Oh, wait, here, why not? All right, there you go. Okay, so, nicely done, everybody. The point is this. Not only was that fun, but nearly everything that we eat has to die first, right? For instance, if you go to a restaurant after we get done here today, and they bring something to your plate that's still alive, you're probably not going to be real happy at that point, are you? You're probably going to get up and walk out. Nearly everything we eat first has to die. And, and, and that's probably one of the reasons that Hostess cupcakes that while they you can get that. It's okay. Go. It's all right. There you go. One of the reasons why Hostess cupcakes, while they are so good, they are so bad for you, right? Because they were really never alive in the first place. Okay? Think about that. What we need for sustenance, what we need to live, first has to die. Most things. Okay, my family, you know, corrected me on all the things that I thought, you know. But the idea is that in order to live, there first must be death. And when Jesus talks about this kernel of wheat, he's not just talking about our favorite food dish, right? He's not telling us how things work. Instead, what he's trying to tell us is that unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Jesus is saying that if I don't die, you know what? I'm still Jesus. I'm still God's son. I'm still the Messiah, but then you'll only have me. But if I die, there'll be disciples. There'll be more. There'll be an abundance. Jesus says, I must die in order for you to have life. Does that make sense to you? Got a few head nods, all right? Jesus is trying to teach his disciples something here. And he's he's trying to tell them that, that death must occur in the physical realm, 
in order for us to have life. In the same way, death needs to occur in the spiritual realm in order for us to have life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I die, and because of my death, you have an opportunity to live. Jesus is trying to get his disciples to see this, but but I'm convinced his disciples, they had no clue what Jesus was talking about. They thought he was talking about wheat. Uh, Look at verse 27. Jesus says, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it, Heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of peace of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And what we want to focus on this morning is is what Jesus says there when he says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Now, remember, we're trying to look at these seven days in four-part harmony, okay? And so here we see the melody, and you can fill in these blanks in your bulletin and, you know, try to follow along here. But here we have the melody, which is the story of Jesus. And what Jesus is saying here is something that he also said a few pages earlier in your Bible, back in John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, to a guy by the name of Nicodemus, when he said, The Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. But in order to understand what Jesus was talking about in John 12 and in John 3, we we have to go to the baseline. We have to go to the Old Testament so that we keep our feet grounded and it helps us interpret the scriptures correctly and not just any way we want to. And and to do that, we need to go to the, the book of Numbers. And I know Numbers is a book you read all the time. Numbers chapter 21. Um, now, you probably know the story that it's referring to here. You, you have um, the nation of Israel, it was the slaves in Egypt. God led them out of captivity through Moses. Moses was taking them to the promised land, but because of their unbelief, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, okay? And part of the time, uh, while they were wandering around, um, because they didn't trust God with the next steps of their life, Scripture says that they started whining and complaining so much that venomous snakes were sent their way, and as a result, many of the people were dying because they had been bitten by these snakes, all right? And in Numbers chapter 21, verse 7, it states this, The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole, And when anyone was bitten by the snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Now, when I was about eight years old, uh, my parents and I learned that I was allergic to penicillin. And we found out because I had to go get a shot, and we lived 45 minutes from the hospital, and whenever we were about 30 minutes from the hospital is when I woke up in the back seat and couldn't breathe. And so, you know, I had that whole thing where my parents were like, you know, and then they turned around and, of course, Dad sped back down the road. But... As a result of that, I had to get a medical alert bracelet, which I never wear. So if you're ever with me, I'm allergic to penicillin, okay? But the idea is, on this medical alert bracelet, you see it all the time, what's on there? 
you've got a pole with a snake wrapped around it. And the idea behind it is alert. Look at this so the person can live. And, and God is telling the people through Moses that you're bitten by the snake. You need to look at this and live. And, and what was causing them so much pain was going to be the thing that was going to heal them. The, suffer, the symbol of suffering became the cure for the suffering itself. And I want to say that again. The symbol of suffering became the cure for the suffering itself. And if I'm an Israelite at this point, i got to wonder what's going through their mind, Right? You're telling me what? I get bit by a snake, and I look at a snake to be healed. You making fun of me? Right? Are you playing with me? What are you trying to tell me here? I think the Israelites had four options at this point. Okay? They're, they're bitten by the snake. They have four options. Number one, they could pretend that everything was just fine. They could pretend that they hadn't been bitten by the snake and just kind of go about their life and say, you know what? No big deal. All is good. I can just pretend that everything's fine. They could attempt to heal themselves. Right? They could try to get their own medicine and do their own thing and say, I can cover this up. I can make this all better. They can attempt to do it on their own. They could just accept death, right? I mean, after all, they probably seen friends or relatives that had been bitten by a snake and they had died, so they may just resign themselves to go, you know what? It is what it is. Nothing I can do about it. All three of those options, by the way, lead to death, right? Or they could choose the fourth option. They could look up to the pole and they could be healed. They could look and be healed. The symbol of suffering became the cure of the suffering itself. Hold on to that, all right? Take that and just kind of wrap your hand around it because we're gonna, it's going to be important, okay? Go back to John chapter 3. In your, if you see what it says, the first part of verse 14, Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Got that? Jump to John chapter 12, where we started. Jesus says, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Okay? So you got those things? In order for all this to make sense, and if we're trying to keep our, our mindset in the mindset of the disciples, we have to fast forward to day five. Okay? We can't just stay where we are because it won't make sense. It didn't make sense to the, to the disciples. If we jump forward to day five, it's where we, what we call Good Friday. And on Good Friday, what we see that Scripture tells us is that Jesus, the suffering servant, was what? He was crucified, and he was hung up on a tree or on a pole, on a cross, so that all who looked upon him and all who believed in him could have life. See, we have the blessing this time of being able to read the whole story. And being able to see how this makes sense. Jesus, he, he became pain and he became suffering. He became sin so that you and I could have life. And in order for this maybe to make holistic sense, we need to read a little bit more of the baseline. Isaiah prophesied 600 years before this event that this was going to happen. And here's what it says in the scripture. It says, he was looked down on and passed over. A man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sin that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sin, he took the punishment that made us whole. 
Through his bruises we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way, and God has piled all of our sin, everything we've done wrong, on him. On him. John 3, 14. The Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. You know, those messages you heard, maybe as a kid, growing up about turning and burning, uh, the guy or the gal with the bullhorn and the people with the sandwich boards that are yelling at you, repent or die. That's kind of where this comes from. Because they understand that that's the truth, that, that the Bible tells us that our sin separates us from God, that what we do in, in sin against God is what's going to allow, not allow us to spend eternity with him. That whenever we are, are greedy, it's, it's our choice. And we make the choice to be deceptive. And we make the choice to do these things. We are separated from God. We're no longer with him. Not because God has turned his back on us and is running away from us, but because we have turned our back on him and chosen to walk away from him and live outside of the life that he's created for us. Remember what Jesus answered whenever he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think what Jesus is trying to get us to see here is that, that every time that we demonstrate hate to another person, every time that, that you deceive your boss or, or lie to your partner or cheat on your taxes or belittle your spouse or take advantage of someone, not only are you injuring another child of God, but you're breaking the heart of God because that's a child of God too. And whatever you do to them, you, you're doing to God. And, and whenever we do those things, not only do we hurt someone, we hurt God as well. Even if you're just harming yourself, and you think no one's getting hurt but me, you're still offending God. I, I think that's why Paul writes in Romans that the wages of sin is death. The payment for our sin has to be death. It's just a consequence of the way that we decide to live our life. If we decide to live a life of sin, then we have to have death. Remember that our decisions give us a, a, a destination. They will determine our ultimate destination. And if we choose to demonstrate our love for life by walking away from God, then that, then that leads us somewhere, and it has a consequence. But also, in Scripture, we read in Romans chapter 6 that, yes, the wages of sin is death, but here's the good news. But the gift of God is eternal life. And I think that's why D.A. Carson writes in his book, Scandalous, he says this, This is why the cross is not only the demonstration of God's love, it is the demonstration of God's justice. When Jesus went to the cross, for you and for me, he took our sin, he took our pain, he took our shame, he, he took everything, and in his death, and he hung it up there on the cross. He hung it up there on the pole. And the only way that, that you and I can be reunited with him what Numbers says and what John chapter 3 says and what John chapter 12 says, what Isaiah says, it all points to the fact that all throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, this, the theme running through is that in order for us to be saved, we have to look upon Jesus. He is the one that matters. He is what is most important because he took death for us. It's the only way. Now, if you're one of those people that in the beginning you raised your hand, and you walked away at some point, maybe it was because of the, the presentation or, or the message, the me messenger that you uh, received that from. Maybe you walked away because 
you had heard it so many times that you're just not good enough, that you just can't do it, that whatever, that you started to believe it, and just like, you know what, I just don't want to go there anymore. Maybe you started to believe that you're just not good enough for God to love you. Maybe you've heard that story. I've heard people say that. But you know what I hear more often than that? More often in conversation with people, what I hear is that people are walking away from the Lord, and they're just kind of like, you know what, I'm really not that bad of a person. I'm really not. I'm pretty good. All things considered, I don't do that much wrong. I mean, I'm not guilty of any of those big sins, you know, that we talk about. Nothing's going to land me in jail. Nothing that's really bad. I'm I'm greedy, selfish. But who's not, right? I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as, right? And we justify it that way. And we, we think, you know what? I'm not that bad a person. I don't know that I really need to be saved from anything. Let let me just tell you a a couple things. Uh, The first is this. There is absolutely nothing that you could ever do that would ever keep God from loving you. There's nothing you could have ever done or nothing you can ever do that will keep God from from loving you. He loves you regardless, regardless of of who you are or what you've done or where you've come from. He loves you. There's nothing you can do to to separate yourself from that. He's always going to love you. You can run from him. He's going to be pursuing you because his desire is to love you. And for you to receive that love. And a lot of people need to understand that, that he is all, always pursuing you. Uh, Isaiah chapter 42 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He will never give up on you. And that's what people like to hear. And that's what people need to hear. But the second part of this is, is maybe a little more difficult to take. There's also no amount of goodness you can do that will make God love you. There's no good enough clause in the Bible. I've looked for it, okay? It's not in there. It doesn't say if you do these things or if you don't do these things, then you're good enough. Because if that were to be true, it would minimize everything that Jesus did for us on the cross. God loves the greatest person on earth and the most wicked person on earth the same. The the only difference is the choice the person makes. What choice will they make? It, It can only be done through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how we get restored. That's how we have and receive his love. He welcomes everyone. It's a matter of whether or not we respond to his love. I, I meet a lot of people, and I talk to a lot of people who are just kind of wandering around like the Israelites were wandering around in the desert. They just come up with a variety of options as a response to the Lord, and, and they, they have all these different things. Sometimes they just simply ignore the fact that something's wrong. They ignore the fact that sin in their life is going to lead to death. They just kind of pretend that there's nothing wrong, right? And we just kind of pretend. We ignore it, it'll be fine. It kind of reminds me of the movie Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Anyone willing to admit they've seen that movie? Remember when King Arthur fights the knight who's guarding the bridge? Okay, some of you do. He cuts his arm off. And he says, I've had worse. What? So in the process of the conversation and what happens, he cuts his other arm off and both of his legs off, and he's like, it's only a flesh wound. And somewhere, and you're like, he's simply pretending that everything's fine when it's not fine. Do you know people like that? Are you like that? Just pretend. If I pretend, everything's fine. Another way people respond sometimes is we attempt to heal ourselves. 
We attempt to heal our own wounds, to cover up our own mistakes, to put on this facade, to make sure that, that we're okay, right? I, I can handle this. I can do this. I, I can make sure that I can manage my own situation. And what God is calling us to is not to try to do it on our own, but to allow him to walk with us and to come back to him and to walk a life that leads to life and not a life that leads to death. Because whenever we attempt to do it on our own, we can't do it. And sadly, I've met people that just resign themselves that they're just a bad person and they're beyond hope. I've talked to several people who are like, you know what, I can't go to church. And when I ask why, they're like, well, because the building might fall in on me, first of all. It's really at the heart of it. They just don't believe God can forgive them. And they've resigned themselves. They've accepted the lie of Satan and just said, you know what, I'm beyond hope. And it's hard to know what to tell them because you can't make someone believe. You can't make someone care. You can't make someone have hope, but you can try to give them that hope. You can try to tell them that that Jesus defeated sin because you can't overcome death by simply pretending that you're fine or attempting to do it on your own or accepting death. The only way you can do that is to go through Jesus Christ who said, my love is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And we accept him. And we're accepted because of the blood of the Lamb. Last week, if you remember, we talked about how all the Jews were coming to Jerusalem for Passover. And on their way, they either brought an animal with them or they bought an animal there at the temple. Remember that? And why did they do that? Because they had to offer an atoning sacrifice to roll back their sins another year. That's what they had to do. And Jesus, whenever he comes in, riding on the back of the donkey, he says what? He says, I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin." He took it away for all time, for everyone. There's no more sacrifices necessary because Jesus is the Lamb of God. And Jesus says, look to me, trust in me, believe in me. And that brings us to the tenor part of our story, our response to our community, what's going on around us, with our friends and and our coworkers and our family. How do we use this this story as a backdrop to our lives? And I think, I think, most of you here today, we've got some, some new people, and you can ask those around you, but most of you who know me pretty well know that what I'm about to say is, is true. I'm not the type of guy who's going to stand up here before you and encourage you to go buy those turn and burn t-shirts and wear them around. I'm not going to invite you to go buy a bullhorn or get a sandwich board or throw Bibles at people. I'm not going to invite you to go get tracks and you know, whip them at people as they're getting on and off the train, right, to say, if you die tonight, you know. That, that's not my style. Now, I'm not trying to put on any of that down, but for me, I believe that God is calling all people, all people back to him. But I don't think that fear is the best motivator to get people there. Because fear really never changes anyone. You scare your kids, they'll be good for a while, but not always. You love your kids, and they'll understand it's about that relationship. And so, while I'll never really encourage you to do those things, what I do think that we need to do is, is we need to be sure to tell the whole story. We need to tell people everything. Too often, I think we, we proclaim that we exist to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ as we go love and teach, and that sounds good, but, but what does that mean? We need to complete the story when we're sharing with people and say, you know what, I've been healed by the guy who hung on the cross. He hung on that tree for me. 
And there's no amount of good things I can do to earn it. There's no amount of bad things I can do to keep him from loving me. There's no amount of bad that you can do to keep him from loving you either. And he's inviting you to life like he's invited me to life. And are we willing to share that part of the story with people? Are we willing to say, all you can do is trust him? That's what I'm trying to do, to not walk my own life, but to walk the life that, that he's prepared for me. See, I think your friends, the neighborhood, the community, the people outside these doors and, and down these streets and the people that live next door to you, they need to hear that part of the story. And that brings us to the alto part, your part, which as we've said isn't the most important part, but it's the most important part to you because it's what matters most to you. I skipped over this a few minutes ago, but back in John chapter 12, Jesus says, uh, he says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, he says this, the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And what Jesus is saying here is that if you choose to hold on to your life, then you're going to die. And you're not going to uh, have your story continue. You're going to choose to live your life for yourself, and you will die, and that will be the end of it. Or you can choose to live your life for me, and you can contribute to the bigger story of what Jesus has been writing for all time and will continue to write. What choice will you make? You see, I think that's why the fiery preacher, right, who stood up front, and I don't even have one to pound on, but who pounded on the pulpit and told you all those things, while the messenger, the messenger may have been far off, the message contain that kernel of truth that God loves us and he wants us to come back into a relationship with him. So what's your response? What's our response? What are we going to do with this? The, the decisions that we make determine our direction and the direction will ultimately determine our destination. We get to choose. And that's the amazing part of what God has done is that we get to choose. He's not going to force us to choose him. He desires for us to choose him but he's not going to force us to choose him. Jesus' payment on the cross means there's nothing we can do to earn it, and there's nothing we can do to run far enough away from it. One of the things that we do read is, is when we believe in him and, and we accept him and, and he, we've made him the Lord and Savior, that, that one of the ways that we can respond to him is through this symbolic act that's called baptism. And it's talked about in Romans chapter 6. Paul writes this about baptism. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And so for all of us who maybe at one point in our life we walked away from the faith or we walked away from church, Maybe it was because of the messenger. Maybe it was because we just didn't think that the message was applicable to us. I want to encourage you and challenge you to come back to God, to restore your faith in him, and to allow yourself to not just be a church attender, but to be in a relationship with him. Accept him. Make him the Lord and Savior. And part of what you can do in that, your response to him saving you, and by looking to the tree and by being saved into him, is to be obedient through this act of baptism. It is, it's a process that, that will demonstrate to others your commitment and your love to him, and it will honor God in the process. 
And maybe you've never done that. Maybe you grew up in the church and, and you've, you've never taken that step of obedience. We want to encourage you to do that. Maybe you grew up in the church and you went away and you came back, but you've never really accepted him. We want to invite you and encourage you to do that because that's what he desires for you more than anything else, is to have that relationship with him. Last week, we read about his immense love for the people, right? How Jesus was, was upset and frustrated because the people who claimed to love God the most were not loving the people that God had put in their path to love. God desires to love everyone, and he shows us time and time again how he accepts everyone. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how bad you are. God, God loves you just the way you are, and he wants that relationship with you. Craig and the band, they're going to come up, and they're going to lead us uh, in an invitation song. It's something we do every week to give you an opportunity to respond. And what I want to ask you today is, are you willing to respond to him, to his message? Are you willing to maybe today to just say, you know what, God, I want you as Lord and Savior of my life. Or maybe you've done that and you've never been obedient to baptism and you want to say, you know what, it's time for me to take that step. It's time for me to be obedient. It's time for me to do that. Maybe you need to do that today. We're going to invite you to make your way over to the cross here in just a minute and talk to people about that so that we can, we can talk with you and share with you and encourage you. During an invitation time today, how are you going to respond? Are you going to pretend that everything's fine, that you're good right where you are? Are you going to try to do it on your own and go, you know what, if I just tighten my shoes a little more, if I just try a little harder, I can do this. Are you just going to accept the fact that you're beyond hope? Are you going to look to the cross and be healed? How will you respond to him today? I want to encourage you. Don't think you're fine without him, because you're not. Don't try to do it on your own. And don't give up, because God is always pursuing you. Stand with me. If you want to talk to someone, I invite you to make your way over to the cross. We'll meet you there.